Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so let's talk about this. What is the relationship with, of the law with the gospel? In chapters 2 and 3, Paul answers this question. So let's continue on in chapter 2. Could I have a volunteer read this passage? Chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. Okay, thanks, Rex. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness comes through the law. Then Christ died needlessly. Amen. I love that. You're getting emotional there. Uh, and, you know, I, I've heard Jim Resky read this verse, quote this verse to me, and he said, who loved me? Who loved me? I mean, it, it's so powerful, such a powerful verse. But what I want you to notice is Paul's now writing about living the Christian life. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say this. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by relying on the law. He didn't say that. He didn't say the life I now live, I live by. And, you know, as a new believer, when I was just a babe in Christ, I used to think that all the people in the Old Testament were saved by, by keeping the law. And all the people in the New Testament were saved by faith in Jesus. But the law never saved anybody. The law never saved anyone. I had a little bit of an aha moment this week as I was uh, preparing for this and thinking about this. If the law could save some people, why would you have the sacrificial system? Why would you have the temple? Because in the, why would you have to sacrifice all those animals? And why would you have the holy of holies where the, some guy goes in there once a year and he has to have bells on his thing just in case he does something inappropriate and they have to pull him out? I mean, so the, the law, the law never saved anyone. I love J.B. Phillips' translation of chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I want to read it to you. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who saw Jesus Christ the crucified so plainly, who has been casting a spell over you? I will ask you a simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law? or by believing the message of the gospel. Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the spirit 
and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. So, if we're not to rely on the law for our spiritual growth, what does spiritual growth look like? In other words, this leads us to the second main question that I want to address is, how does the gospel change us as believers? Or you could say, what is gospel-driven sanctification? Well, both Jim Reske and I have shared this, this diagram with you guys before because we both believe it's so important to understand. We believe it's a great visual for what our Christian life should look like. Jim will probably go into more detail in, than this even next week as he finishes up Galatians. But I just want to point out that the way we grow in the Christian faith is the same way we came to faith. We came to faith through Jesus, and the way we grow is Jesus becomes more and more important to us. In other words, like Tim Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, and then you move on to like deeper truth, the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension of our life according to the gospel. So the main problem that we have as Christians in our Christian life is that we've not thought out the deep implications of the gospel. Most people's problems are just a failure to be oriented to the gospel, a failure to grasp and believe it through and through. So the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is the continual rediscovery of the gospel. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And what I love about this is that I need Jesus just as desperately as my non-Christian neighbor. And so it's not like me up on a pedestal looking down on the non-Christians like, oh, you guys, you need to come up here. No, I'm down there with them. I need Jesus just as much. Not, not for my salvation. My salvation is secure, but my sanctification my sanctification. Yeah. What does it mean when it says to work out your salvation in fear and trembling? What does that mean to you? To work out your salvation in fear and trembling. I'm sure it uh, probably means a lot to, to different guys. Looks sounds like Louis wants to address it. To me, when I, when I hear the word fear, obviously you think of being afraid. But the, the biblical word fear is, means to be in awe. And so what I think is when I first came to Christ, Jesus was pretty, I was blown away that God loved me and, and that, he, that he would save me. But my knowledge of the gospel is like this. I've grown in awe of the gospel. To me, that's what working out your, your salvation and fear and trembling is growing more and more in awe of, of the gospel. Now, what did Christ do for me? The cross, let's say the cross is like bigger than this whole screen. What he actually did for me, I will spend my whole life hopefully growing in my appreciation of the gospel, but I will never get to a full understanding of what he accomplished for me on the cross. Amen? We, we spend our whole lives, and so, so I, need, I need to appreciate the cross more. I'm just an infant. <laughs> I mean, I've been a Christian 30 years, but I'm just a babe. I'm just a babe in Christ. 
Why do I have to think I'm so spiritually mature? Because I'm telling you what, what Jesus actually did is probably a hundred times bigger than the screen. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, Greg, you know, the way I like to think about this too, it's similar to the cross growing in our lives, but I, I draw a barometer and before we know Christ that, that, that rectangle or that, whatever the structure is, it is a hundred percent ourselves. And the day we become a Christian, why maybe we got, 20% Christ and 80% ourselves. And then it moves up to 40 and 60 over time, 80 and pretty soon, you know, Christ is the most important thing in our lives. And, and that is what you're showing me the cross. And that's what, what you, uh, what uh, I think about when I draw the barometer, but I, I thought as we read Galatians two twenty that you would be excited as a navigator because the very two verses I ever memorized or Second Corinthians five seventeen, mm -hmm. Amen. And then Galatians two twenty. Yeah. Any man is in Christ; he's a new creation. Yeah. And then I have been crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live, not him. And so we go on to say that there were we're new, we're reborn. There's a difference. There's a change. And those two verses, to me, are hallmarks of, of the Navigator series. Amen. And it's all about Christ being the center, the center of our lives. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And see, when I thought he loved me back here, but as I grow, I realize how much he loved me. And it, and, it, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, one of the observations I made is why did God in the Old Testament, why do we have the law and the temple? And I came up with this, I, I, I just kind of had this thing of like, well, the temple really shows us God's holiness, you know, like I was talking about the holy of holies and how, uh, and, and the law really shows us the, our sinfulness because we can never keep it. The problem is the, the Jews made it so you can keep it, you know, so they, even to this day, you go, you go to Israel on, on a Sunday or a, or a Saturday, I'm sorry, on a Sabbath and you live in a 10-story hotel, you can't push the, the buttons to, the, to get to your floor if you live on the eighth floor. So they're all pushed for you. So, you don't so that way you, you can say, I didn't do any work. I didn't, do any, I didn't push any buttons. I didn't. But, so, but the original law was to show us the depth of our sinfulness and our need. And, and really, what's so cool about the gospel is the gospel is the only solution. <laughs> it's the only, the ultimate solution for us. Because God is in way more holy than we think he is, and we are way more sinful than we think we are. <laughs> and so the gospel is the only thing that, that, that it's the only solution to all of our problems. So I just want to, uh, I'm going to leave some time for uh, more discussion and questions, but on your handout, I have some questions for reflection. And I, I really want to encourage you to, to reflect on some of these questions. Like, have I added anything to the gospel regarding my salvation? Is there anything that I'm adding to the gospel regarding my salvation? Or am I trusting in Jesus plus nothing? Am I adding anything to the gospel regarding my sanctification? Am I trusting in Jesus plus nothing or Jesus plus something else? Which gospel thief do I drift towards? Is gratitude towards Christ, the engine of the Christian life. And see that back to that, um, that diagram. 
And is my understanding of the cross shrinking or growing? I think the, the engine of the Christian life is gratitude. It's gratitude because Jesus paid it all. He did everything for it. And, and you can never, and you should be growing in your gratitude. So with that, I think I'm going to stop there for today. Jim will pick up on the second half of Galatians next week. But with that, we can have a time of like more discussion and questions. Or you can share your, your thoughts. Yeah, Larry. I was just going to say that uh, when he asked about working out your salvation in fear and trembling, I think of Romans. Where in Romans 6, you come to Romans 7, and he talks about his struggle with sin. And then you have the great passage in Romans 8. As you come closer, when I, I don't remember who told me this, but as you come closer to the light, things look darker. I start seeing more darkness in myself of things that I wouldn't have when I first became a Christian. And so you suddenly have something new to struggle with. And I look at it in chapter 7, he talks about a married relationship. I think of my relationship with my wife. I mean, you go from ecstasy early on, and all of a sudden you get to know each other, you start seeing some of the flaws. You get into a deeper relationship, a deeper level, you start seeing some of the flaws in the relationship and stuff like that. And I think that's why you work it out. But I still believe there is fear, fear of the Lord. Asked, when I want to sin, there's a fear of the Lord and thinking, you know, judgment for disappointing him. Fear is there along with reverence. And I know everybody says, no, fear doesn't mean, it means reverence. There's a couple passages where it says fear and reverence. I think it's in Psalms. I, can't, I don't have it right here. But I believe we need to have a, a, a righteous fear of God because it's amazing who he is. And when yeah. you, it humbles you. And Oh, I think, I think if God showed up right now, we'd all be on our faces. If LeBron James walks in here, we would be, we'd feel a sense of awe. Maybe, maybe some of us might, maybe not, maybe some of you wouldn't, but no. some, some might feel a little bit, there, there's human, there's, there's human beings you might feel as, you know, okay, LeBron James, sorry, I, you know, there are men that could walk in this room and we would feel a sense of awe, but God walks in this room, we're on our faces. Well, I and think, so I think, I think, I think of Daniel. Daniel, to me, is a man of God in ways that I would aspire to be like. And what happens when he came face to face? He was on his face. Mm. He had fear, shaking. And, and so, I, I don't know. I come from a Catholic, the Catholic Church where you walk into the church and there's something about just the church. It, to me, God was there and I would be humbled. And I think we need to have that when we come to him. We, sometimes people are too flippant. Like you, I had somebody who was in my office who claimed to be a Christian, and he was spouting, swearing. And I was looking at my assistant. I said, I said to him, I said, you know what? I don't appreciate what you're saying. I said, you not even need to stop that. And he went back. Like I said, hey, I'm sorry. I just don't appreciate it. I don't. If someone was saying something to my wife about my wife, I wouldn't let him get away with it. So when they use the Lord's name in vain, it just it irritates me. So. I'm, maybe that might be considered to be legal, but I think it changes your heart. And because of love, you don't want someone to, to do that. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for your thoughts. Yeah, Ben. Yes. Uh, the uh, covenant of promise actually precedes the law. It goes all the way back to Abrahamic yep. covenant where he moved on faith only. 
That's right. That Abraham covenant in Genesis 15 is very important because when God made a covenant with Abraham, Abraham knew what God was doing. So he set up the he set up these things where he put split animals in half. And the way a covenant usually worked is both parties would walk between those animals that were torn in half, saying, if I break this covenant, this is what will happen, you know, to to you. The amazing thing about Genesis 15 is God walked through the, God made the covenant, but he never asked Abraham to do it. So, and, and essentially it's foreshadowing what, what he was ultimately going to do through the cross, that he was going to have his son rip to pieces on our behalf because we broke the covenant. Yeah, Lou. Uh, great, great comments by Dr. Larry. And Ben, I, I, I agree with Dr. Larry, having been raised Catholic also about the awesomeness of God when you would go in and you'd have to genuflect and certain things. I mean, certain traditions and so on show the awesomeness of God and the reverence for God. So I, I would agree with Dr. Larry and Ben, I think just hit it right on the nailed it because if you look at the scriptures, it says uh, in, in chapter three, I think it's so important. Know then that is those of the faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all nations be blessed. And then at the end of chapter three, it talks about there's no Jews, no Greeks, no males, no females are all one in Christ. So, you know, the law came in as a schoolmaster, as it says in chapter three, but we're under the Abrahamic covenant. That's why Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek and, and the Hebrews is so important to understand all that. So we as Gentiles are not second-class citizens. You know, we are accepted by God. God with, with Abraham he made a way for Gentiles from the very beginning. And Ben is so right. The law came for, for and, and, you know, if you talk to Jewish people, they want to talk to you about Moses. You know, they don't want to talk to you about Abraham and how we're members of Abraham. That's what I faced a lot of times. They want to talk about the law. And, the, and like you said, Greg, that's the default position. So, we, you know, we should be so thankful. And I, and I think Tom hit it on the head too. It, it, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, your attitude you are saved. You are justified, right? You're working out your sanctification and the cross is becoming larger in your life. It's, it's just so good. I mean, when you think about it, 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 there's so many blessings there that, you know, intellectually, if, if, if people look at it intellectually, everything is there for you. If you look at it emotionally, some people are more emotionally uh, tied, not necessarily men, but some people, right? There's a lot of emotional growth there. There's, you know, there's intelligence, there's emotional quotient. Everything is there in the gospel. Every, every facet of our lives is there. Mm. Thanks, Lou. I appreciate you sharing that. Ray. It's interesting. Before you become a Christian, you think of Christianity as following rules. Galatians tells you the opposite. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think one of the challenges for us is we try to witness to people is we have to, you know, I said there's three ways to live, follow the rules, follow Jesus, or follow your heart. You have to put yourself in the mind of an, an unbeliever. They think there's two ways to live. <laughs> Basically, you you follow your heart or you follow the rules. And so when, when they look at us, they see us as religious. They see us over here. And part of our job as evangelists is to explain that, no, we're not over here. We are, we are doing... You know, Jesus is something totally different. 
And I find it, that's one of my biggest struggles in evangelism. And that's why I actually use this diagram with, with people when I'm sharing the gospel with them. I explain, no, I'm, I am not following the rules. I'm not just a religious good guy. I'm not a moralist, you know, or a legalist, but that's how they see us. I mean, your neighbors, oh, he's a religious guy. He goes to church. So our job is to help them see, no, we have something different. Yeah. We still have a, we still have a few more minutes. Yeah. You know, and when I was in grade school, we had a nun who said, you know, when you sin, it's like you're driving the nail into Christ's hands. Mm. And that's always stuck with me. And I think as Christians, though, we can get in a attitude that, you know, I did this wrong, but, you know, I'm saved. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous position to be in. It's just to nonchalantly think it's okay. And and I hear it from people. I mean, yeah, they don't feel about repentance. Very good. I think for for us as Christians, we need to think of sin as not just breaking God's law, but breaking His heart. And that's why we don't want it. We don't want to sin. Why? By the way, I want to make this very clear, and it's clear in Galatians. We still want to obey the law. We still want to follow the law. What we don't want to do is rely on the law. Relying on the law is trusting it. Like we want to obey it and we will with Jesus's help with the Holy. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's mentioned 10 times. The Holy Spirit is key for us to live the Christian life. It's Christ. Christ lives in me. So when I succeed in, in obeying the law, it's, it's not I don't get any credit for that. That's that's the Holy Spirit working in me. That's my changed life. You know, that's that's him. Ken. I'm just going to reflect back to what Larry was saying. I said, I came uh, my from, was around cops a lot. My dad was a cop. And I said, our the second language in our house, I think, was swearing. And I'd say, as these men came to know Christ, you could see in their heart how they were convicted. It would catch themselves. I told the one guy, I said, if you couldn't swear, you'd be a deaf mute. And uh, so, but, but when you, it was amazing how God transformed their hearts, they would catch themselves. But the one in, 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 in practice, when I would see patients and they would take the Lord's name in vain, I would stop there. I said, I don't care what swear word you say. I really don't. But when you take the Lord's name in vain, and that's comparing the Lord to what you would do if you went to the toilet, I said, that's very offensive. And it, I never, ever got rebuttal from that. I got, usually they would look down and they would say, I'm sorry. But again, a seed planted, it's not legalist. It's just, it offends our heart because we know what he did for us. Amen. Amen. Any, anybody else? Okay, go ahead. I, I had one more. Um, what's the first law that we see in the Bible? I'm going to put you in paradise. I'm going to give you everything you need. All you, I'm going to give you all the food you can't. You just can't eat that one tree. Right. So it just shows... We cannot follow, even if the law was the simplest law that it is, yeah. we cannot do it. And the only way we can live a righteous life is when you accept Christ and have the Holy Spirit come into you, because then it convicts you. And you got to question a person that lives a life where they're not being convicted by it. Mm. You got to question their salvation. Amen. Because, and I'm not saying as a legalist, but if you see them doing something, you have to say, it's got to be hurting them inside. If they got the Holy Spirit in them. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. So that's, I think, where, where it is. 
That's good. Hold the mic. I'm going to have you, or you can't, yeah, Ken, I'll have you close in prayer. Before you do, Ken, um, I, I love what you just shared because I use this when I'm sharing my faith with people. I'll say, imagine if, if you could do whatever you wanted, but you just can't touch my cell phone. You know, I put, or usually I use a pen. I'll say, you can do whatever you want, but you cannot touch this pen. What do you want to do? That, that's the human nature. It's human nature. That's why, that's why Paul is so passionate, not just about the gospel for our justification, but the gospel for our sanctification. I think that's one of the lost teachings of the church today. I think we, we come to Christ by grace, but then we grow through works. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a tragedy because people are just, they, you can, there's nothing attractive about a legalist. If you watch their life, it's not attractive. But when somebody's growing in the gospel, they become good news. Mm -hmm. People see them as good news and they're attracted, attracted to that. Would you close? I sure will. Bow our heads. Lord, the Holy Spirit is rich this morning. We just thank you so much for Greg's message about the cross, Lord. I thank you for these men. We have a common goal to, to get closer to you, Lord. May we be brighter lights this week to those around us. May we always take this message and realize that love trumps all and that we do not rely on the legalism or we don't forget our brains when we come to the emotion, Lord, that we use your word to be lights in this lost world so they can, that the lost can have the same joy that we have in knowing you. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.